So, loving your neighbour is a good thing to do, isn't it? Three of you think so. (laughs) Even if your neighbours are not the sort of people who it's easy to love. Now, you know and I know that there are people who do not love their neighbours. I hate people like that. This morning we're looking at a well-known story, probably the best-known parable story that Jesus told. The concept of the Good Samaritan is familiar enough to all of us, even people who don't go to church. We name hospitals, churches and institutions in his honour. Most people know a good Samaritan when they see one. Mother Teresa, Albert Schweitzer, David Livingstone, the fire service, the ambulance service, even the anonymous person who stops to change a tyre when somebody breaks down in the middle of the night or helps a blind person over the road. Yes, we've all met one or have heard about one. Even if we can't relate the full details of the story that we just heard read to us by Fiona. In the parable, the Good Samaritan that we've read this morning, we're we're introduced to a lawyer, or more accurately, a self-styled expert on Jewish religious law. And he poses a question to Jesus as a test. He's trying to trap Jesus. His motive is questionable. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers this question with one of his own. What's written in the law? How do you read it? And his answer comes back. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. Good answer... Good answer. He got that from the book of Deuteronomy, thereby proving that he's a clever man. His motive is questionable. Jesus agrees with his answer, but the lawyer, not satisfied with that, he wishes to be noticed. He wants to challenge, he wants to entrap So we ask another question, who is my neighbour? In other words, okay Jesus, I understand that I'm supposed to care about people, but what are the limits of my caring? When can I quit? Under the Jewish law, what are my obligations so that I I can know precisely how much care I'm required to give out? so I can do just enough to satisfy the requirement because that'll put me right with God because my understanding of God is about keeping rules and regulations. And so here Jesus tells a story. The first person that we're introduced to is the poor traveller. He's taken the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. That's a notoriously dangerous trip in those days. The road is awful. 
it descends over 3,000 feet in the space of 17 miles. The terrain is horrible and it offers great hiding places for bandits who terrorise travellers. This unfortunate man who had been attacked, beaten up, stripped, left for dead. Jesus, Jesus' audience of that day knew how easy it would be for that to happen. And I would suspect that we, Jesus' audience today, could easily, easily identify by glancing quickly through the newspapers of today, watching the news on TV, hearing about innocent people being mugged in broad daylight in the middle of our cities. So we can identify. Suddenly, who should come along but a priest? If anyone's going to be expected to stop and help this guy, it would be a priest, wouldn't it? But wait, the priest does not come over to help. He passes by on the other side of the road. No reason is given. Perhaps it was fear that the muggers are still around. Perhaps helping this bloke will make him late. Or maybe helping him would have made him ritually unclean, an important concept in the Jewish religious mind, therefore making him unable to carry on with his religious duties. Whatever the reason is, we don't understand, but this poor bloke lying in the side of the road, he doesn't rate highly in this guy's priorities. So the next person we come across is a Levite, a kind of an assistant priest, a temple worker. The text tells us he came to the place, he saw the victim, and he too passed on the other side of the road. Enter character number three, a Samaritan, the good Samaritan. Of course, Jesus never referred to him that way. Nowhere in the Bible text will we find the word good and Samaritan next to each other. For those folk who heard the story, the phrase good Samaritan would have been a contradiction in terms. As far as they're concerned, as far as the Jews of Jesus' day are concerned, the only good Samaritan would be a dead one. Why such depth of feeling? Well, hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans was hundreds of years old. Time does not allow us to deal with it very well at this time. But, here's a map. It stems from the division of what we sometimes refer to as the Promised Land into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judea, or Judah, sorry. And that division took place not long after King Solomon's death. That's about 900 years BC. Over time and division, this division um, uh, was made worse because of different invasions and subsequent intermarriage of the people in the northern kingdom with immigrants. So the result is that racial purity and religious observance in Samaria, which is part of the northern kingdom, 
was totally different from the mainstream Jewish tradition and religion. Samaritans were seen as aliens, as traitors, as outcasts to the strict Jews of the South. By the time of Jesus, the animosity between the Samaritans, the Jews and the Samaritans, was so great that many Jews who lived, in, who lived north of Samaria, up in Galilee, Jesus' hometown, incidentally, people who lived there would go miles out of their way in order to get to Jerusalem. They would cross over the River Jordan and go down the east side so as not to have to walk on Samaritan soil. That's how ridiculous it was. Turn that off now. Anyway, that's enough of the history. They really didn't like each other. Anyway, the Samaritan seeks the man, but instead of distancing himself, just as the priest and the Levite had done earlier, he comes close. The text tells us that when he saw the man, he took pity on him. He went over and he soothed his wounds with oil. He cleansed them using wine as an antiseptic. And then he bandaged his wounds, probably with strips of fabric torn from his own clothing. And then he put him on his own animal and he brought him to the next motel, equivalent, and took care of him. The next day, he took out some money, two coins, the equivalent of two days' pay, gave it to the innkeeper and said, please look after him, and if you have to spend any more, when I come back through, I'll reimburse you. Isn't that incredible? So the story is over. Jesus has responded to the lawyer's question about the limits of neighborliness with this story. And now he turns the question back to the lawyer. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? And and, And the bloke answers, the one who showed mercy. I find that quite amazing. The concept of a good Samaritan is so distasteful that the lawyer can't even bring himself to be specific. So he says, the one who showed mercy. Isn't that an interesting story, isn't it? Jesus always had a motive for telling a parable story. So what's this one about? After all, if Jesus was just trying to say that we should help the helpless and supply the needs for the needy, well, he could have talked about the first and the second man who passed by and then the third bloke who stopped and helped and cared for the half-dead chap in the ditch. He could have told them all of that without mentioning nationalities, couldn't he? Also, if Jesus was having a go at the religious establishment, which he sometimes did, we could expect the third man to be a layman. In other words, a priest, and then a Levite, and then a layman, an ordinary Israelite, in contrast to the professional clergy. 
that would have drawn a contrast between an ordinary Joe in the street and the religious elite. But that's not the way the story goes. Have you ever wondered why the hero of the story was a Samaritan and the victim was a Jew? Could not Jesus have illustrated the need to love our neighbour with the Samaritan as the victim and the good Jewish person being the hero? Well, you might think that that would be a more acceptable story for that particular audience. Well, yes, it might be. It might have been possible. But remember that Jesus is talking to a so-called expert on Jewish religious law. If he had told the story with a Jewish man helping an injured Samaritan, then this expert would have simply dismissed the story because he would have understood it in terms of the Jewish man breaking the religious law, helping a man who was a traitor, helping a man who consorted with a person of impure blood, so the impact would have been lost. That's not Jesus' purpose. He wanted to put it in terms of representatives of two groups of people. Not neighbours who might help each other, but people whose traditions and histories and ideologies were completely opposed to each other. Whose laws held each of them in constant separation. In our day, Jesus might have used a story about a white colonialist being helped by a black freedom fighter. Or perhaps a member of Islamic State helping a Christian. What Jesus said to the lawyer was so radical that it cut right across all the religious rules and regulations and got to the very heart of the matter. So what's the heart of the matter? I hear you ask. Well, it's this. Do you remember at the beginning of the story, the Jewish lawyer asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in telling this story, Jesus tells him that it's not what you do. It's not the rules and the religious stuff. It's not about achievement. It's about commitment. It's not about activity. It's about attitude. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. It's not about doing it's about being. That's the crunch. And what does Jesus say? Go and do likewise. Now I'm sure that all of us here could come up with some modern day examples of helping selflessly like the Samaritan And we could all learn from that. When I was preparing this 
this talk, I was reminded of something I read some time ago. And when I was thinking about a modern-day example of what Jesus was talking about, I remembered this illustration, which is demonstrating the same attitude. Not action, but attitude. And this is something that happened a few years ago in California, and it really moved me. As a 14-year-old boy who developed leukemia, and he had to have quite high doses of chemotherapy. Now, as you know, one of the side effects of these very strong drugs is that it makes your hair fall out. So within a short time, this young lad was completely bald. Now, can you imagine what it would be like for a fashion-conscious teenager to suddenly be bald? After some time and treatment, the boy was well enough to go back to school. And knowing how cruel kids can be, can you picture the way that he looked forward with dread to going back to school. The lad was just terrified. He wasn't looking forward to it at all. But do you know what? It so happens that one of the kids in his class was a Christian. And he got together with the other classmates. And he explained the situation and he got them all to agree to help. So the following Monday morning... When this young boy with leukemia went back to school, 23 boys in that class turned up with shaven heads. So that the poor lad wouldn't feel so bad. It's not beautiful. I want to suggest to you that that's a similar sort of thing. It wasn't so much what they'd done, it was the motive behind it that really moved me. It was the same attitude of mind, it was the same commitment that we might recognise as being the same as the Samaritan. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Friends, there is no Bible teaching that exemplifies the life that Jesus calls us to more than the parable of the Good Samaritan. But remember that it's not what we do that will gain us eternal life. It's not our deeds that will please God, give us brownie points. It's our motives. The nice, kind things that we do for other people, if we adopt an attitude of one good deed for the day, does not gain us brownie points with God. It is our commitment to the Lord Jesus It is the love inside us that comes from God, but which spills out in actions and deeds and attitudes and relationships 
stuff that the world can see. Not listen to us rabbiting on, but what they can see us doing. That's what Jesus calls us to do, to tell everybody we meet about the love of God and as a last resort, to use words. That's what Jesus meant when he said, go and do likewise. Let us pray. O God, our loving Heavenly Father, we're ashamed to admit how little, like the Good Samaritan, we often are that we most often are. But that is part of the reason why we're here. Because we want to do better. But not just do better, but be better. And to do that, Lord, we need your help. We need to know, we need to be reminded, but we need to know in our hearts how much you love us. Because it's only then that we can allow that love to spill out from us, to show other people the difference that you have made in our lives. And we ask that you would help us to do that. And we ask all of this in the very precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.